Today we're in Luke chapter 7, and it's about expectations. Historian Daniel Burstein suggests that America's, Americans suffer from have, having ex, extravagant expectations. So think about this. In his book, entitled The Image, he makes these observations. He says, we expect anything and everything. We expect the contradictory and the impossible. We expect uh, compact cars which are spacious, luxurious cars which are economical. We expect to be rich and charitable, powerful and merciful, active and reflective, kind and competitive. We expect to eat and to stay thin, to be constantly on the move and ever more neighborly, to go to the church of our choice and yet feel its guiding power over us, to revere God and to be God. Never have, been, uh, have people been more the masters of their environment Yet never has a people felt more deceived and disappointed. For never has a people expected so much more than the world could offer. What do you think about that? Do you sometimes have expectations that are not met? Sometimes expectations on other people. Maybe expectations... Uh, about your circumstances, maybe expectations about your health or a family member, expectations maybe even about God and how God should do things. Our passage today in Luke uh, chapter 7, verses 18 18 through 35 is about expectations. I want to invite you to turn there. It's about how people respond when uh, their expectations are not met. Some people are greatly uh, discouraged and disappointed. Sometimes they become negative and sarcastic or even bitter. Our story is about a great man of God, and his name is John. Luke chapter 7. I'm going to begin at verse uh, 18. And uh, we read, John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. So, um, first we see when expectations lead to doubt. This is what this section is about. And we're going to start with the doubt in verses 18 through 20. Verse 18, John's disciples told him about all these things. Well, what things? 
You always got to ask the question. That's why context is so important. What things was he talking about? Well, he's talking about the events that just happened. Jesus has been healing people. Not only that, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus has just raised a man from the dead. And uh, the message has reached John. And John is kind of far away. We're going to show you that in just a minute. And um, John is discouraged. John has doubts about Jesus. Um, John, um, and then uh, going on, uh, the question is, he, he sent, uh, John sent his disciples to John, are you the one who is to come? Jesus, are you the one? I thought you were the one. Because John knew the Old Testament. He knew it extremely well. He knew the prophecies about Messiah, the promised one, the one to come. The one who would be a great deliverer. The one who would deliver God's people from their enemies. The one who would bring judgment on earth. John knew that. John knew that the Messiah would do powerful signs. And yet, John is in a place where he's not sure. He's starting to doubt. He has questions. They are serious questions. A little background here uh, to, to John, just to allow me to remind us about what we know about John from the previous pack, uh, passage uh, regarding background. If we go back to Luke chapter 3, uh, verses 2 through 6, and we, we pick up uh, part of John's story. We've, we've already seen the birth of John in Luke 1. This is a big deal because God had a prophecy about the birth of a special person, and it's in the same chapter with the prophecy about Jesus. Two uh, births prophesied, and then the two births are recorded because they're really important in God's plan. Verse 2, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John. That mean, that's, the, that's how you describe a prophet of the Old Testament. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah. Well, we know him because Zechariah is his father. We saw that in Luke chapter 1. Uh, and John is in the wilderness. He's, he's, in a, he's outside of the city. He's outside of the religious establishment. And he went into all the country around the Jordan. This is going to be away from the big cities. Preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, next slide. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way uh, for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. That's exactly what John did. By his preaching, he went out into the wilderness and he called out people. He called them out. And, and he was pretty direct. He really was calling them out. And uh, people had to leave the city and you know, pack their lunches. And they, Some of them were overnight and they had to get away, make, take some time off of work and go out. What's John all about? We've heard God is speaking and He's speaking through a man named John out in the wilderness. And 
This is part of the message, every valley. This is right out of Isaiah. Shall be filled in, in every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight. The rough ways smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. That's what this is all about. John is going to prepare the way through his preaching. And people are going to see God's salvation because it's going to come through the one John is preparing the way for. We know that is Jesus. And John believed it was Jesus. And so um, we see more of his message and just how direct he was in Luke chapter uh, 3, verses 7 through 9, continuing that same passage. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers. This is not like... He's not being seeker-sensitive. He is very direct. We forget his context, though. These are God's people who've had the Old Testament for over... uh, parts of it for over 1,400 years. These are God's chosen people. They know it. They've been given the scriptures. Other nations have not. And God has expectations for his people. And he's raised up prophets. Uh, When they get out of line, he raised up prophets to represent God, to speak for God, and to call him back. And he's calling people that should know better. He's not calling people who have no clue who God is. He's calling people with a Jewish background and knew the Old Testament. He says, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. That was also a term that John used for the religious leaders. Who warned you of the coming wrath. That's judgment. John knew judgment was to come. By the way, it still is to come. And John is warning his audience Uh, We might say that John is a hellfire and brimstone kind of preacher. Um, And then he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, um, if you come and you say your heart is right with God and you say you're submitting to God and, and you're confessing your sins and you want to be baptized and now you're baptized, now go and live and live in a way that honors God and shows that you're serious, not perfect, that you now have a heart for God. Next slide. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Don't count on your heritage. Don't count on your parents and your grandparents. Don't count on your ethnicity. Don't count on your religious background. Don't say that. God doesn't need your genetics. He can raise up people to honor him from a stone. And so he's saying, if, if you uh, have repented, a con- kind of a conversion, then go show the new life that you have. And then he comes back to that judgment. Uh, the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Because the one who's going to be the judge is coming, and there is going to be a judgment and there's going to be a separation, good and, uh, good and evil, good and evil. So that's, what, that's John's message. And um, he was a powerful preacher, and God used him, and apparently thousands of people over a period of time came out to John and had their hearts changed to be ready 
when Jesus showed up. And now uh, we come to the but, his imprisonment in verses 19 through 20. Luke 3, 19 through 20. And, um, but when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch, see, John was an in-your-face person. He did no sugarcoating for John. And he, by the way, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. I would not question how John did it. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit according to scriptures. He was a prophet for God. He said the things that God wanted him to say. And when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch. Now Herod is a Jewish man. Not a Roman. Not a Gentile. Somebody raised in the Jewish faith who understood the Old Testament. Knew about the Old Testament. Rebuked Herod because of his marriage to Herodias. What's wrong with that? Well, Herodias was the wife of his brother, and Herod had an affair with the wife of his brother, and then he took her into his own home as a wife. And uh, John says, Herod, you can't do that. That displeases God. That dishonors God. Now, uh, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added to this to them all, and he locked John up in prison. And actually, Herodias, his, the wife, didn't like what John said. And Herodias kind of told Herod what to do about John. And John is in prison. Let's see the map. We have a map here? Okay. Jesus is up in the Capernaum area. He's been in Nain, which is not too far from there. And that's where he raised the, the young man, the, of, the son of the widow of Nain. Jesus is up in the Capernaum area. John is down in Machaerus, down by the Red, uh, Dead Sea. Not the Red Sea, the Dead Sea. And that is a lonely place out there. Um, it, it's, you can see how far away is, it is from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the center of Israel. It's a religious hub. It's the largest city. And John is out there. And Herod has a palace in Machaerus. And Herod's, or John is way down in a, in a prison cell. He's in a dungeon. This is literally a dungeon. It's, uh, it's very, it's dark, it's damp, it's cold, and it's as filthy as you can imagine. That's where John is. And he knows about Jesus the one to come, and he's going to deliver everyone from, he's going to deliver God's people from their enemies. He's going to bring judgment. And guess what else Jesus would do? He would release the prisoners. How do you think John feels? He's a man of God, a spokesman for God. He's pretty discouraged. He has doubts. Okay. We'll pick up the pace here a little bit. Verses 21 through 23. The explanation that Jesus gives. In verse, uh, the context is verse 21. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits. And gave sight to the many who were blind. If you know about Jesus, he did that so often. It's, it's just easy to say, oh yeah, that was another day in Jesus' life. It's probably kind of true. But that's what was happening when the disciples of John go to question Jesus and tell, 
Ask Jesus that question. Are you the one? Verse 22, Jesus gives the explanation. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. What you've seen and heard. You are witnesses because that's what witnesses do. They've, they tell what they've seen and heard about God. That's what we do when we tell what we know, what we've experienced about our relationship with Jesus. You don't have to answer everybody's questions. Just tell what you know. And that's what Jesus wanted the, the John's disciples to tell John. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. That's kind of a big deal. Remember, we've said over and over again that these are, these are miracles. They're, they're signs from God. And, and signs authenticate the messenger and the message. And they, they point, signs point. And they are offering proof that God is at work. Pay attention. And so that's what Jesus says. And the good news, this is the final thing Jesus said, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. That's exactly what Jesus said he was about in Luke chapter 4 in the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, when he went in to read the scripture and he said, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. John knew the Old Testament prophecies. And let me remind you of a couple. Isaiah 35. This is about eight centuries before the birth of Jesus. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knee that give way, the knees that give way. To those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He's going to come in a very personal way in the person of Jesus. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Now that's what people were looking for. That's what John understood. And he was right. Problem is chronology. He didn't see God's whole plan. Okay, next slide. Uh, verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. We're not, right, we're not ready for that one. So, um, Jesus has been doing these things. The miracles. At least all of, all of those healings. But he hasn't judged anyone. And then the Isaiah 61. And this is a passage that Jesus read in Nazareth in Luke chapter 4. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. That's the Messiah, the anointed one, to proclaim the good news to the poor. That's what he's been doing. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives, next slide, and release uh, from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And, Je and Jesus stopped reading right there. Right after favor, he stopped. He did not read the end of verse 2. And the end of verse 2 says, and the day of vengeance of our God. 
The day of vengeance is still coming. Jesus did not come to judge the first time. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. But he will come. And he will judge. That's where all of history is moving in the book of Revelation to Revelation 19, the revelation of Jesus Christ. When he comes a second time, he will come for a day of vengeance. And we have plenty of notice. We have the same problem in our day that they had in the first century. And we're going to see that in just a minute. So perhaps we can see why John would have doubts. Uh, He had an accurate view of Scripture, but he didn't understand all of God's plan because God hadn't told him the whole story. Jesus didn't do things exactly the way John expected it. John was close with God. Um, The prophecies are true and not yet complete. And then uh, Jesus encouraged John, verse 23, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus is telling John, John, I know this is hard. I know you don't see the whole picture. I know you don't know what's coming, but you're going to be blessed. Don't fall away. Don't stumble over this. There's a blessing for you, John, and for everyone who don't stumble over Jesus. And one of the big descriptions of Jesus is he's a stumbling block for the Jews. The word is scandalon. He was a scandal for the Jews because he was hung on a tree. Verses 24 through 28, when expectations lead to misunderstanding. And we'll read that in verses 24 through 28. After John's messengers left Jesus, after John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out to the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. That's Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 that Jesus is quoting right there. So when expectations lead to misunderstanding, what is the misunderstanding in verses 24 and 25? And uh, what are the expectations that people have about John? What did you go out in the wilderness to see? What drew you to John? Why would you leave your homes and go miles away out in a lonely place where there are no motels or convenience stores or gas stations? Why would you go out there to see John? What did you go out to see? Was it a reed swayed by the wind? Do you think John was wimpy? No, he was not a wimp. That's a metaphor, by the way. The whole thing was a metaphor. Uh, John was not wishy-washy about anything. 
John was a godly man and he spoke the word of God directly. He was a man of convictions. He knew what he believed about God. He knew, understood what was right and true. He understood what was wrong. John was not a reed swayed by the wind. And then we see his appearance in verse 25. If not, what'd you go out to see? Was a man dressed in fine clothes? No. You didn't go out in the wilderness for a fashion show. You didn't go out to see people in royal robes or silk clothing. You know, John wore camel's hair. And John ate uh, locusts and uh, honey. And John didn't stayed away from people a lot. He spent long times away from civilization. And people came to him. And Jesus said, no, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces just like Herod. So Herod is in the palace and John is in the dungeon. The true identification, verses 26 through 28, his role. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. John was a hero. John was a true man of God. John was a hero to Jesus. Verse 27, uh, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you. That's at Malachi 3.1. This was John's role, to be a messenger, to get people's hearts ready for God, to focus on the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one. Uh, John's dad prophesied about John, his own son, in Luke chapter 1. Remember this? And you, my child, this is Zechariah the dad, speaking of the baby. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, the Most High God. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. This is John. John is a great man. His birth is prophesied. And his role is prophesied because God wants his people to watch it, to pay, pay attention to it. Verses 28, we see John's greatness. He says, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. I think this is kind of high praise. Among those born of women, there's no one greater than John. Now, let's just think about the past. Who were some of the great people in the Old Testament? Abraham, Isaac. Abraham is usually big. Joseph's one of my favorites. Moses is a big wheel. Daniel. Well, there's a lot of godly people in the Old Testament. Men and women. A lot of them are listed in Hebrews chapter 11. Guess what Jesus is saying? This is John. He's at the top. That's what Jesus thinks about John. And then he says in verse 28, Yet the one who was least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Wow. What is that about? If you are in the kingdom of God, according to Jesus, you are greater than John. 
How can that be? Well, it's about a position. John was the last Old Testament prophet. Sometimes people don't understand that, but you see, John, this, they were living in the Old Testament times. The New Testament had not been inaugurated yet, because that's not going to come until after the death of Jesus. John is living under the Old Testament law. He is God's last prophet from the Old Testament period. John is at the end of an era, one of promise, looking forward to Messiah. John did not see the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. John did not see or hear about the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit would come from heaven as Jesus promised and fill his church and the church would get a start. And where people would become children of God and born again and have access to the Father, direct access through the Father through Jesus Christ. John didn't experience that. John um, was not raised in his position and in Christ and united with Christ and gifted by the Holy Spirit uh, the way the church is. John had gifts and they were from the Holy Spirit but not the same as what's been given to the church. He didn't experience the new covenant. So something new has been created by Jesus that's better than the system that John was in. John is a godly man. John's going to be in heaven. Hopefully we'll get to meet him. But he had a different set of, if you want to say rules, he was under a different covenant, and he missed a whole lot that you know about. Please don't take it for granted. Please don't take it for granted. Thirdly, verses 29 through 35, when expectations lead to total failure, this is not good. Verses 29 and 30 is about two first responders. They are not police or firefighters. They are first to respond to Jesus. The first is, gives a warm reception to God's message. Verse 29, all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. So here's a group that John had encountered already that heard John, John's preaching of preparing the way. And their hearts had been prepared because they responded to John's message and they humbled themselves and admitted sin and surrendered their lives to God. And they, they went for baptism to demonstrate um, as a sign that their hearts were changed. So when Jesus shows up, they get Jesus. They want to hear. They want to learn. Their hearts are ready. There's a large group as Jesus travels that come to Jesus because They've met John already. And they give a warm reception. And then there's another group. They give a cold rejection to God's message of good news. Verse 30. This group often came to spy on Jesus. Verse 30. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purposes for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. 
So the amazing thing is, sorry about the voice. The amazing thing is the Pharisees, they're religious leaders. They are students of the Bible of the Old Testament. They know the scripture. The experts of the law, excuse me, are the scribes. Maybe somebody should get me some water. Thank you. That would be great. They know the Bible. They know all these things about the Messiah. And here he is, in present, face to face. And yet, they're closed-minded. They're hard-hearted. They shut themselves off. They don't want to hear what God has to say. Verses 31 through 34. Thank you, Luke. Verse 31. The danger of misplaced expectations. Jesus went on to say, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? Now, the people of this generation, he's referring to those religious leaders, those people who should know better, the people who should be leading their nation Spiritually, they should be guiding people. And he said, what are they like? What are the people of this generation like? He says, they are like children. They're like children. They like to play games. And then Jesus uses a couple of uh, little references here of games that kids play. Uh, Like first century Children playing wedding. How do you do that? They have another game. Children playing funeral. Not very fun. He says they're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other, we played the pipe for you, but you didn't dance. It's like children wanting God to perform. Wanting John to do things in a certain way. Wanting Jesus to do things in a certain way. You know, like show us. To perform. And we'll be the audience. They're like children. And the, uh, the, the funeral, so the fu- playing funeral, we sang a dirge and you did not cry. We wanted you to do it this way. We wanted you to be serious and you didn't do it. And Jesus is sort of making reference to how John came and how he came. And he shows that in verse 33. For John the Baptist came, by the way, John the Baptist didn't start any denominations that were Baptist, ever. And there is no Baptist denomination that really should be connected to John. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. John was serious. He was a very, had a very simple lifestyle. We would say austere. Um, he, he was very cautious about his diet. Um, he didn't drink wine. And um, leaders looked at John and said, That's not a, he's not going to represent us. That's not exactly what God had in mind. And... They said he had a demon. 
That's how they described, that's how the leaders described John the Baptist. Verse 34, the son of man, Jesus is saying, now referring to himself, came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton. That's the description of sin. And a drunkard. That's another description of sin. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. They are off limits, according to the religious leaders. Because Jesus wasn't afraid to attend a party where people had different lifestyles. Where there might have been a great amount of alcohol consumed, he wasn't afraid. He didn't worry about whether they were just religious people when he hung out with them. And Jesus was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. John and Jesus were both godly men. Their roles were different, and they both were rejected by the religious leaders because they did not meet the expectations of the religious leaders. Verse 35, we see, the, we come to the final verse, the test of God's messengers and God's work. And Jesus said in verse 35, but wisdom is proved right by all her children. Wisdom is proved right by all her children. So the question is, were those who followed John's message and then Jesus' message, were they right? Did their lives bear fruit? Did their wives, did their lives become children of wisdom? Or was it the Pharisees and the scribes and did their lives show fruit? Did their lives demonstrate that they were truly walking with God? For Jesus, for over 2,000 years, people have been coming to faith and lives have been changed and institutions have been developed to help people and to make a difference in the world. And the Pharisees and the scribes faded away pretty much in the first century. Yes, there are still Jewish people and still a Jewish faith, but they haven't blossomed the way the church has There's a picture of God's wisdom in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 30. Paul reminds the first century church, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. I'm one of the foolish things. God chose the weak things, I'm one of the weak, of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify things that are so that no one may boast before him. Next slide. The Jewish, people, the Jewish leaders were trying to boast about their lives. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom from God. Jesus is the wisdom from God. It is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. 
Wisdom is proven by her children. A question for us is, what fruit are you bearing in your lives as a result of your relationship with God? What difference is God making in your life? Are you growing in your walk with God? Are you stagnant? Are you stuck? Are you negative toward God? What difference, what impact are you making for Jesus? Do you represent him well? Or are you sloppy in how you live? The question I have is why? Why? Okay. I have a few lessons here. Number one, first lesson. Sometimes Christ followers have serious doubts about God and his plan. So I hope that encourages you. People who are close to God sometimes have doubts. People who've been following Christ for years sometimes have serious doubts about God or how God is doing things. John the Baptist is a great example of a godly man who had a heart for God, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he still had times of darkness and doubt. And he was disappointed with God. So don't be discouraged. It happens to the best. And I just would say, if you're passing through a period of uh, darkness right now, or doubt or discouragement, tell somebody. Engage some people to walk alongside of you and to walk through it with you. Secondly, sometimes Christ followers can have unrealistic expectations about how God should do his job. Now, I want to be very kind to John the Baptist and very patient with his circumstances because he had the correct information. He did know the scriptures. He had expectations. He just didn't know how God was going to do it. And I think of uh, what I know about scripture, and sometimes I think I know a lot, and then other times I realize I don't know very much. But when you think about the future, I always wonder, what would I have done if I'd had the Old Testament? What What would I have thought about the Messiah coming? What would I have expected? I think I would have been a lot like a lot of people were. I wouldn't have gotten it right. Uh, The same issue comes now with his coming back a second time. I have a lot of information about Jesus coming. I believe he's coming. But God may not do it the way I think he's going to do it. He just may totally surprise me. That's okay. But he is coming and I just need to be ready. So sometimes we can have unrealistic expectations. Be careful about your expectations. The best way to think about this is to know God and you're going to know him through his word and through your relationship with him. And the big question is, when you're in difficult, painful circumstances, can you trust God? Even though it doesn't make, your circumstances don't make sense. Can you trust God? Because it's about his character. He's not going to change. And he's good. And he's loving. And he's kind. And he's merciful. But he is in working on a plan that's way bigger than mine. My plan fits me. And he has a bigger plan and a better plan than mine. Can you trust God with your uncertainties? Based on what you know about God. 
Thirdly, be gracious to those who go through periods of doubting. And this is, Jesus was a great example. He was very gracious with John. He didn't rebuke him. He said, John, you should know better. Read your Bible. Blessed are you, John, if you, if you don't fall away. Now, what, what you're going to learn about John, this is a spoiler alert. We've already covered this a couple of years ago. John is going to stay in the dungeon. And one day during a party, Herod is going to order his men to go get John and cut off his head. That's it. There's another sermon there. The safest place to be is not always in God's will. It's the best place. It's not always the safest. And we sometimes, Christians, want to just safety, safety, safety. It's all about God should do this for me. And he does protect us. But there are times, like John, I don't understand. John understands now. Someday we will. Uh, number four, some, uh, sometimes Christ followers may have significantly different views about Christian liberty. Now think about John the Baptist, his lifestyle. He's austere, very simple diet, don't want to change. I want to do this. This is what God wants me to do. This is the message I have. It's very direct. And then there was Jesus. And when you see Jesus meet the woman at the well, or the woman caught in adultery. He's very gracious. He's very kind. He's not in your face. It's way different. Different style of ministry. Jesus hung out with sinners and uh, tax collectors, sort of like the names of the low social class. And um, Jesus partied with people that the religious people wouldn't hang out with. Different lifestyle choices. And uh, my point is, there are Christians who have different convictions about their freedom than you do. Sin is still sin, but there's a whole lot of freedom in Christ to live and make choices. A simple example would be something like alcohol today in the Christian culture. Some Christians, no way. Some Christians, okay. We, we do know... Scripture says, don't be drunk. But choices about where people go, that give people some slack. Because there is freedom in Christ. And, and there, another application there is different styles of ministry. There are some ministries that are really direct, and they may not be appealing to us or to you. Maybe the way they do evangelism, they're too confrontational. You don't like that. Okay. You don't have to do it that way. God still uses some of those people. So be careful about putting people in a box. And the last one, Jesus must become greater and I must become less. This was John's message. In John chapter 3, verse 30, he said, He must become greater. I must become less. That's what I'm hoping for my life. 
that Jesus will have more and more influence in me and my self-centeredness will become less and less. Jesus will take up more influence and I will take less influence. And that's my prayer for both you and for me. Let's stand and let's pray together. Father, uh, we are reminded of expectations and we sometimes have expectations and expectations can really be be good because they give us hope. They enable us to think about the future. Uh, They enable us to think about what can be and uh, what will be. And yet we can become very disappointed if people don't meet those expectations or if we think you haven't met those expectations. And uh, may we learn... uh, from John, may we learn from the words of Jesus, and may we uh, trust you for who you are. And Lord, it is my prayer that you will have greater and greater influence in my life, and that there will be less and less of me that gets in the way. And that's my prayer for the church, for everyone here who calls themselves the follower of Christ, that Jesus will have more and more influence. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.